sermon for this morning is based on Luke chapter 13. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evildoers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out, people will come from east and west and north and south. And will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first. And first who will be last. This is the gospel of our Lord. So what type of person do you suppose asked that question? Lord, are only a few going to be saved? Where do you think that came from? Was it just a general kind of silly question that just came from curiosity? Or is there something a little more going on there? Maybe there's some anxiousness. Look, how many people are in front of me? There's not too many in front of me in the line to get into heaven, are there? Or maybe, just maybe, it came from a place of pride. Jesus, I mean, come on, now you're just talking to me. Like, only the good ones like me are the ones that are getting in, right? What do you suppose that person was thinking? It's tough to tell, but we know that Jesus clearly didn't think the question was the right one because he turns to the people and essentially says to all of those people and that person that asked him the question what a parent says to their child who is tattling on one of their siblings. Just worry about yourself. That's the message that he has for today. Don't worry about all of the other people that you're worried about how many are going to be saved and how they're going to be saved. Think about how you're going to be saved. Stand on guard, be alert, and strive to make every effort. Clearly, Jesus is addressing some issue that's going on in the crowd. There was clearly some type of misunderstanding between Jesus and the people, and they weren't approaching the kingdom of heaven in the right way. And so Jesus tells a story. And you can imagine in that story, the people get more and more anxious because the story doesn't really turn into a good story. It turns into a pretty, pretty scary one. And if you notice, with all of those pronouns that, that Jesus used, he didn't say they and them. No, he said, you. You will be left outside. He tells the story of a door, a singular door on a house, and the housemaster, God himself, is the one that is standing by the door. And you sit there and you watch people go in, and he shakes, them, shakes their hand and pats them on the back, and, and he welcomes them as, as brothers and sisters in Christ. And then you go up to the door full of a little bit of confidence, and you say, good to see you, and he looks at you and starts to furrow his brow a little bit. 
I don't know you. And, and your first thought is, okay, let's make some excuses. Let's say, no, 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 Lord, you, you know exactly who I am, right? You taught in our streets. We ate and we drank with you. You, you know me, right? No, I don't, I don't know you or where you came from. Get away from me. You see, Jesus saw the problem in the people's hearts. He had people in front of him that were relying on those external relationships, all of those external things about their lives that they thought attached them to God. He knew he was talking to people that did their absolute best to keep every single letter of the law, and they thought that they were doing it so well that they would be known by God. He knew he was talking to people who looked back in their genealogy and said, whoa, 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 I am Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob's descendants, so certainly I have a rightful place to heaven. Jesus knew he was talking to people that, that were nodding along and listening to him the whole time and, and still didn't really understand what he was saying. So he takes all of those external things, genealogy, and all of the things that they were clinging to about themselves that they thought made them right for heaven, he lifts them up and he smashes them on the ground. And he says, look at that. Is that really worth it? Is that really what you're going to put your trust in? He takes it and he, and he puts it right in front of them and he says, your excuses are no good. And maybe it's about that time in 2022 when we're able to read the text and we go, yeah, but we would never say those things. We would never try to say a weird excuse like, like you taught in our streets or we ate and drank with you. That seems like more of a them problem and less of an us problem. But do we have our excuses? Do we have those external reasons that we think that God ought to know us? Do we sometimes approach him in the wrong way? Jesus, you and I should be good because I always show up to church and I'm on a member roll. Jesus, you and I should be good. Have you not seen how much money I've been putting in the offering plate lately? Jesus, you and I should be good because my family looks up to me and my friends look up to me and my church and my community, they all look up to me. They think I'm a godly person. So clearly you and I must be good, right? And brothers and sisters, am I saying that all of those things are a bad thing? Is it wrong to give generously to our Lord? Is it wrong, is it wrong to be a, a model for the people around you? Absolutely not. But is that where we put our trust? Are sometimes those the things that well up greatest inside of us and start to put Christ off on the peripheries? It's tough to think about. It's tough to imagine that sometimes that can be us. The people that stuff our hands full of all of these things that we deem to be good in this life and we approach the door of God and we say, look, see all the things I've done for you. Where's my seat? And to that, God says exactly what he said to the people in our reading today. I don't know you. You've got it all wrong. You've completely missed the point. In college, we had scanners on our dorm room door or on our dorm dorm building doors. 
And those scanners were always locked and you had to have your ID on you, your ID card, in order to get into the building. And I remember one night I was coming back from work very, very late and I show back up and it's like 30 degrees outside because it's awful and it's Minnesota and you know. Um, and it was very, very cold and I got out of my car and I went up to the front and I reached for my ID that I thought I had in my pocket. Not there. And it's late, so I, I'm calling friends getting no answer from the inside of the dorm. I'm hoping maybe somebody will just happen to be coming out or going in. Nothing. And so I snuck around side, and I found a room that I was pretty sure was my friend's, and I slid the window open, and I crawled in, and I wound up landing right on his chest while he slept on the futon. Thankfully, it was actually my friend's room. <laughs> Did I get in? Absolutely. Was it ideal? No. But I got in. That's not the impression we're getting from Jesus today in our text, is it? There's not the one normal door that is grace in Christ. And then there's the other window that you can slide open and sneak your good works in through, through the side. There's one door. One way in. And essentially what Jesus is saying today is, if you don't like that way in, if you don't like the door that I've opened for you, you're out of luck because I haven't opened another door and you don't have the ability to get in another door. And then you hear the words, the most horrifying, emptying, gut-wrenching words you could possibly hear, your father in heaven turn to his creation and say, I don't know you. That's why Jesus told the story. It was as a warning for the people, you don't want to hear your God say those words to you. You don't want to hear your God look at you in the eye and say, I'm not sure who you are. And what you've done here is completely wrong. It's almost as if there are people in this life that, and, and we're, we're certainly guilty of it, that, that carry around a big old duffel bag. And they spend their life kind of sticking their accomplishments and their trophies and all of the good things that make them a good outward person. They stuff them in the duffel bag and they think, okay, I've got a nice full duffel bag. Now I'm going to be able to go to God and see, say, look, this is all that I've done. Why, why won't you let me into your kingdom? And it's at that point that God's going to look at the duffel bag and go, hey, that's way too big. That's never going to fit through this narrow door. You've got to leave that stuff out on the other side and you don't get to bring that in. That's why Jesus tells the story. To get the people to drop the things that they held so tightly to, the things that they thought were so great about themselves that God would certainly let them into the kingdom, to put all of those things on the ground and trust in him and him alone. And so that's how we come to Jesus. No excuses. We come to the door not, not declaring that we have a right to it, not saying that I've worked so hard that how could you possibly resist somebody like me? We come to Jesus. We come to that door, a broken sinner. And Jesus says, come on in. Welcome to my heavenly kingdom. That is why he left his glorious throne in heaven and came to this earth to die for our sins. It was because he knew we were never going to be able to stuff that duffel bag big enough to make it worth our entrance into the kingdom of heaven. He knew 
that there was nothing we could amass in this world that would make us right in his father's eyes. And so he emptied himself of all of the glory and honor that he received in heaven. He humiliated himself, came to earth for us. So that at the end of our lives, God sees us coming and Jesus stands right next to him and says, that one we know. That one's ours. I died for that one. I bled for that one. That one relies entirely on my blood. That one's ours. He says that about us. Because there's no other way for us to get in. He opens this one way and says, come on in. That's the love that our Savior has for us. That undying love that will go to absurd lengths in order to get us home. Just like we heard in Isaiah today. The absurd lengths that God will go to gather all of the people from north, south, east, and west to bring us to the table. You know, there's, there's some interesting words. It's verse 24. No, I'm sorry, it's verse 30. If we want to flip that up on the screen, verse 30. And it says, Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first, and first who will be last. Brothers and sisters, there are those that will be in the kingdom of heaven who don't really look the part. And there will be those who are left out of the kingdom of heaven that by all earthly standards we think look the part. There will be those that have lived that, that really spotless life. They've, they've given so generously. They've worked so hard. They're, they're considered well-respected in the community and their family. They're the good person. They're what you think would be a role model for our community. But if they're going up to the door with all of these things in hand, clinging to them so tightly and putting aside Christ and him crucified, those ideal Christians will be left wanting. And then there will be others. The ones with the checkered past. The ones that know their deficiencies. That know their oftentimes feeling of worthlessness. There will be those that are depressed and beaten down that come before the Lord of glory and say, I have nothing for you. And it's those that the door swings wide open for. Because this life is not about us showing how faithful we are to God. That is not how we are saved. We are saved because of God's unrelenting faithfulness to us. And then we hear this one in verse 24. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter it and not be able to. And I know what you're thinking, Pastor, you literally just spent the last 10 minutes saying there's nothing we can do in order to gain heaven, and then we use a word like strive or make every effort. What gives? Well, essentially, Jesus is calling for a spiritual checkup. He's calling us to look at ourselves and see how we are clinging to Christ. To check in. Brothers and sisters, there are 
forces, the devil, the world, and our very own sinful nature that are constantly on the hunt in order to strip our faiths from us. We wake up in the morning and we know that it will do, those things will do absolutely anything to get us to stop looking at the cross of Christ and start looking right here for our salvation. We wake up in the morning knowing that we have to stand on guard against those things by Christ's grace. But then we go to bed at night, we rest our eyes knowing the promises of Jesus that nothing will separate us from his love. We rest in the knowledge that there is a nameplate with your name on it already sitting at the table of God at the feast of the Lamb right now. Jesus gives us this warning, make every effort. But he does so wrapped in all of the promises that he is never, ever going to leave us in the fight. Imagine with me just for a second that you're in that kingdom. You've gone up to the door. The Lord grabbed you by the hand. He smiled at you and he whisked you inside before you could even say anything. And he found you this place that he's prepared for you from all eternity with your nameplate right there. And he says, have a seat. And you look around and maybe you see some, some family and friends. But you'll also see other nameplates. The nameplates of people that you have little contact with. The person that mows your grass, the cashier at the grocery store, the person that you get paired up with for nine holes of golf. Those nameplates will be right there, and those people might not even know that there's a place prepared for them yet. That gets to be our privilege. They might be walking through this life with that big old duffel bag folded right over their shoulder, weighing them down, keeping them anxious and uncertain. And we get to be the ones that walk up to them and grab that duffel bag and say, you don't need any of this. You need your Savior. It's a privilege and it's an honor that we get to do that here in Aiken as a church, as brothers and sisters. What a thankful, what a thankful bunch of individuals we are that God has bestowed that honor upon us. There's a hard truth today. That's the series we're in. And the hard truth that we're very aware of today is that there will be some who think that God knows them very well because of all the things they've done. And the hard truth is, is they will not have a place at the table. But that's not you. You are chosen by Christ, adopted into his family, and known by name. So don't let anything, not anxiousness, not pride, nothing, sap you of the confidence that you have in Christ and him alone. Christ, who walks with us, who fights for us, who stands guard for us. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door because Christ has kicked it wide open for you. Amen.